why am I not having this conversation when having this conversation could make me be more known in this relationship, help them see me more clearly? I think all of us have had conversations in our lives where the script gets updated because of something you find out later, um, but it does take courage to be like the status quo isn't, isn't good enough. Hi guys, we're your hosts, Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adults, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Welcome back to part two of our amazing conversation with Anna Sale. We are continuing on from last week and in part two we are diving deeper on specific conversations and topics that a lot of us struggle to have. I'm so excited to share this one so we're gonna just dive straight into the episode because it's it's honestly bloody amazing. It is amazing, but we are not the experts, so we called in someone who has quite literally written the book on hard conversations, Anna Sale. Anna is the creator and host of WNYC Studios' wildly popular and award-winning Death, Sex, and Money podcast, where she's been doing interviews about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more since 2014. The New York Times dubbed her a therapist at happy hour, and we could not <laughs> agree more with that explanation of her. We would love, honestly, to share happy hour with her every damn day yes. so we could pick her brain and have thoughtful conversations like we did for basically an hour and a half in this interview. <laughs> it did feel like a therapy session. I loved it. <laughs> She's very generous with her time and her wisdom. Anna and her guests have direct, thought-provoking conversations about the topics that were often too squeamish, polite, or nervous to bring up. She is the author of Let's Talk About Hard Things, where she dives into death, sex, money, family, and identity. She's honestly incredible. You guys are going to love this episode. We are huge fans. Like, I fangirled. Teach us how to have difficult conversations, Anna. So we really wanted to chat about money with you because that's mm -hmm. still considered one of the biggest like taboo topics for a lot of people, whether it's your coworkers, your partner, your friends, whoever it is. It's a tough one to navigate on a moral and social level. And I think because there's so many financial differences between people, it's hard to broach, especially if you're light years apart financially. So how can approaching a difficult conversation about money bring us closer to the people in our lives? I mean, it's so hard. It's so hard, especially when you're talking across money differences, um, because there's no way you want you want to feel this like closeness and to be like we are the same, and you're just not the same. Yeah, like right. if there's a money difference, if there's a different access to resources. So I I think it's kind of like thinking about how do I want to talk about money socially and like reference structural issues when we're just chatting. And then what do I want to like offer about my own sort of money, you know, dilemmas or money process, money journey, figuring things out. Like one thing I talk about a lot when people are want to talk up to me about how I live in the Bay Area and how beautiful it is. I'm like, yes, it is like a very beautiful place. And it also is like so wildly expensive. I'm still in shock six years later. Yeah. Like I want to acknowledge the like great 
injustice that exists in this place where I live and that you can't not notice it and to not notice it feels immoral to me when there's, you know, encampments and uh, a housing crisis that has no solution on the horizon. Yeah. So there, there's that way. And then there's also like swimming lessons, for example, in my life. Again, have two little kids. Where do you do swimming lessons? And, you know, you can do public pool swimming lessons where the wait list is really long. You can do the private swimming lessons that cost 50 bucks for 30 minutes. And so like as parents are talking about this, I find that like I will say, you know what, we we decided to make the investment in the expensive swimming lessons. And here's why, like COVID, you know, we got really, we got a little behind on water safety, but here's why it's worth it for us. But I'll let you know it's expensive. Like, I don't, I don't want to be like, you should do this thing yeah. and not admit that it's basically like luxury swimming lessons. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's the way that it's shown up in my life. Or often it shows up with career advice, uh, conversations when I'm talking to somebody who's at a different career stage than me. And, and I, I'm not somebody who's like ever felt comfortable, like tweeting out my salary. I tend to like want to have those conversations in relationship. So I can also describe context like, yes, like, here's how I got this raise. I had this other offer and then I leveraged it and I told them this and did it like, yeah, I want them to understand the story. So it's like also usable. Yeah. And also I want to acknowledge like, I'm a lot older than you and podcasting was different 15, 10 years ago, like whatever, like acknowledge all the ways that macroeconomic forces limit or expand the possibilities for us in a given moment. Mm. And the same goes for like childcare costs or thinking about different travel options. I don't know. Like, like it's hard, I think, also with friends at the particular life stage where you all are because yeah. I remember there's sort of like early career phase and then as you move into mid-career, like all of a sudden your friends who maybe were in grad school for the first four or five years post-college and weren't earning any money, all of a sudden they're like, you have a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you're like trying to do like group vacation trips and you're like, wait, where do you want to go? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> you know? You're describing and so how do you my talk life right about now? That? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's really tricky because you don't want to like acknowledging the difference feels weird. Yeah. Um, but it's also like somebody's got to say if it's going to stretch their budget too much. Like, yeah. You know, I actually would feel comfortable. Like, what if we do this? Or, or if you really want to stay in this kind of house, like, is there a way where like you would pay? Like, could we do like if you've got the good room? You know, those kinds yes. of conversations. It's important to like kind of be equipped to to have these conversations. And I think what I really took away from from what you just said was like the importance of context, because yeah. if someone is making way more money than me and, you know, very concerned about spending on a trip, maybe I'm missing context. And maybe that context is they have way more payments or they're saving for something really important and huge for them right now. So without the context of how you know, all of our financial histories and ideas of money and current situations without that context, it's kind of like when you just have a number, it's like, why are we all in such different pages right now? But yeah, understanding what else comes with those feelings is really, really helpful. Yeah. And I think that they're also often maybe where you think about with money conversations, it's about how does the person who has less handle the awkwardness of it, of like saying, I've got a budget or like for this, I can do this. Um, I also think it's nice for the person who has more to think about like, oh, moving into a different phase where based on whatever, how my how you're paid in my field versus my friend's field, like it also could force you to th think about like 
what's going to be my relationship to like sharing and generosity mm. and when is it going to be weird and how do I want to do it in a way that's going to feel fun? Like I can remember right soon after I had my first kid, I had a dear friend um, who also had a kid who we both were in public media, but I had become a host and she was not a host. And so I was, I knew I was earning more money than she was. And she knew we, I was earning more money than she was. And I started getting invited to these conferences and fun places. And like, she became, I was like, oh, I have miles. Do you want to come and stay in my hotel room? And so we started doing these little mini mom trips. And it, in some ways it could have felt like, you know, it wasn't totally not awkward because it was like, here's a way that I'm offering you something that you probably couldn't do on your own. But also those are wonderful memories that we have together that like were experiences we created because I was willing to like broach that potential awkwardness of being like, would it be, would you want to come? I love that. I also want to dive into family, which is a big one. And we could devote an entire episode talking to you about family because it's just so hard to grow and evolve together in our family systems and as a family unit when, you know, we're not all lockstep and we all kind of change at different rates, but just kind of like a family conflict communication crash crash course. How Mm -hmm. do you think we can approach difficult conversations with family members who have let us down? And do you think there's a difference in how to approach it based on if we're dealing with a current issue with family or bringing up like past wounds that have never really been addressed? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, Basically, when you're having a hard conversation with a family member, you you are saying, "This is something that we need to. I, I need to address with this person, and I it my my need to address it with this person is more important to me than like keeping the existing status quo intact. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of reasons why that happens in families. Sometimes there's disclosures of past abuse. Sometimes there's something that you were struggling with that you didn't share at the time because you didn't feel like you could, but now you want them to know. You have to go in with the awareness that when you have a conversation that's naming something that hasn't previously existed in your relationship, you're going to change the you're going to change the relationship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um and um, that's okay, but that's that's what you're doing by initiating this conversation. So again, it's like going back to like, why do I want to have this conversation? Why is why what it was important to me, and then how can I explain to this person why I want to have this conversation? Yeah, having this conversation could make me be more known in this relationship, help them see me more clearly. Um, am I trying to protect them from? knowing that I was going through something hard and I don't want them to feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think all of us have had conversations in our lives where maybe the, where the script gets updated because of something you find out later um, and Mm -hmm. what that can open up. Um, But it does take courage to be like the status quo isn't, isn't good enough. I know on your podcast, a couple of guests um, have called into you and asked about, dealing with estrangement. So in your Mm -hmm. experience, do you know at like at what point is that kind of the route that people need to go if the difficult conversations aren't working? Yeah. I mean, I think that the estrangement series on death, sex and money really grew out of this like question with hard conversations and families. Like what am I willing to put up with in order to hold on to this historic relationship? Yeah. And estrangement is... Uh, a big step 
it's not necessarily a permanent step. It can be something that you need. It can be like an undeclared thing where you're just taking time to reflect because you're not clear on what kind of relationship you want to have with this person. But we wanted to just acknowledge through this series, like family relationships are really layered and hard. And the way we socially talk about family, if you're parents, for example, are still living, there's often a very common, uh, like the, the knee jerk expectation is like, oh, that you're in relationship with them. And, mm-hmm. and so we wanted to just normalize that, like, there's a lot of people for whom that's not the case. It's part of the spectrum of figuring out what kinds of hard conversations can this relationship hold. Mm-hmm. And right. some relationships can't hold difficult truths and bringing things out into the open yeah. or, um, you know, maybe somebody, a member of your family is just not, not healthy mentally and just can't, can't be your partner in that. And you have to figure out how you're going to take care of yourself. Yeah. And maybe you're emotionally estranged, but you figure out how to visit and talk about, hmm. you know, things like what's growing in the garden and the weather, you know, uh, like there's yeah. different, there's different ways to think about it. Again, like hard conversations are not going to lead you to having successful, healthful, safe relationships, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. that's not the guarantee, <laughs> but they are something that you are going to have to do one time or another. Um, and so sometimes the hard conversation may lead to the awareness that like, oh, I need to separate from this person in my life. Um, and I don't know for how long, but for right now, this isn't working. I want, one thing a therapist said in the course of us reporting that series, which I thought was really useful, was like um, estrangement isn't an end. Like it doesn't end yeah. the negative, bad history. Like it's yeah. not a fix because you're still going to be processing whatever happened in that relationship. You're just not going to be processing it with them in real time. Grieving it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's amazing what naming something can do. And I'm sure that's like what so many people gained from that series that you did, because just even hearing you differentiate like emotional estrangement was this like light bulb moment I just had of like, oh, I was going through emotional estrangement for years. And I'm just now at a bit of a impasse where I'm deciding where to go now. Do I want to continue Mm. with this very surface level emotional estrangement that had to happen in order to just keep the lights on in a, in a family relationship or do I want to try to get into the weeds and have some difficult conversations and see if it can be improved upon and see if we can like get some closeness again, you know, or obviously there's Mm -hmm. entire estrangement, which I, you know, would like to avoid at this point, but that's just helpful to even know it's not black and white. There's many layers and there's many levels to it as well that you can do to protect yourself, but still maintain what you need. Yeah. And there's a woman in an interview for the book, I think it's in the sex chapter, but she's a woman from West Virginia, where I'm from, who came out and is married to a woman now. And her mother just can't accept that she's gay and can't accept that she's married to a woman because she she lost two brothers separately who died before they were adults. And for her, she's just always said, like, I have to be I have to be there for my mom. So and so she continues to be in relationship with her mom even though she doesn't visit her with her wife, her mom is not giving her what she's craved as far as acceptance, but she, for her, is like, according to how I want to live and how I want to be as a daughter, I'm going to keep showing up. She's very clear about the limits of what that relationship 
can be. Yeah. And it seems as though she's also doing it for herself to be the person she wants to be, as opposed to when you're like betraying yourself to like please someone else. Like it seems it's more so like I'm doing this because this is this is for me. I'm going to show up the way I want to. That will make me proud. Last big question, which is a doozy, is grief. And, you know, it's this universal thing that we all face. Yet what's like interesting to me about grief is that we face it at different times in our lives. Some people deal with grief really early on. Some people don't lose someone until they're like, you know, in their 70s. And so I think that plus the unknown and our discomfort with it has created a bit of a lack in how we deal with death as a society and how we talk about death and how we show up for people who are grieving. I'm wondering what you have found that we can do to kind of get past the platitudes and more so engage in like helpful conversations and moments when death does happen. I want to be for somebody who's in grief where you can have that conversation where they like, you know, it's a little bit grittier than maybe when they're in the receiving line accepting people's condolences. So like I have found again, like just being curious, like making sure that somebody who's experienced a, a very profound loss that I can't imagine, like that, that I want, I want our friendship to be a place where they can be like, this is what is confusing to me now. Or six months later, how is the grief showing up? You know, what are you noticing that's different from when he first died? It's not like I want to, like, show up and, like, press on a bruise for somebody um, every time I see them. But I want them to know that there's that opening, you know. Um, And often it can be as simple as, like, saying the person's name out loud because we avoid that. (laughs) As soon as somebody's dead, we're like, oh, I don't want to say his first name because I don't want to, like, remind you that he's dead. He's, we know sure he hasn't yeah. forgotten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, or like sharing, a, even like sh- offering a memory of, of you know, um, something that can happen right after somebody's been lost, or you know, you're just again a year or two later, like bringing it up, like acknowledging that this person was a part of both of your lives, um, and and also just like letting people. Sometimes you're sad. Yeah, you know, I think often we think about our encounters with grief, you know, certainly the most intense ways it shows up is when we lose people we love. Um, But I have like been helped by like reminding myself that um, there's all these little griefs every day as things are changing. Oh yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that like the more I can try to sort of admit when things are changing in ways that there's some kind of loss that comes with it, the more prepared I am to be clear-eyed about when big losses are also approaching or have approached, you know, like loss is constant. Yeah. Um, and uh, so is renewal. Um, but but I, I just think that some of the taboo around death is like taboo around sadness mm-hmm. um, because, you know, certainly if you have stories in your culture where you know, there's some kind of um, salvation after death, like you're not supposed to be sad. Or if you um, don't know, again, how to offer a fix to somebody's sadness, you can be tentative about, you know, opening that up for them. Yeah. But it's like, it's just like training yourself to like, I don't know, I like being a person who's like learned how to be, have like quick to tears and also quick to like move to a joke 
like just yeah. like or to like Move when through somebody cries emotions. in my presence yeah. it's like that's cool like and then you talk about something else like it doesn't have to be this like <gasps> now we're talking about death <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's yeah. instead it's like this is part of the fabric uh, yeah. this is the part of the air that we breathe and let's let it all in I I love that perspective it's like kind of get rid of your own personal fears about sitting in it with the person and think about the type of friendship you want to have or the type of relationship you want to have where that space is welcome because I would I would want that same space if I was going through something too yeah and I think like adults being an adult as a middle-aged person now I'm 42 (laughs) like I just I feel like I learned that in some ways earlier and then I just like am realizing and just recognizing how much it's like a practice Mm -hmm. you know because there's new losses that are hooking me I know I'm grieving my youth and it's like I miss the (laughs) days of just being able to travel and do spontaneous things so that's a bit of grief I'm going through right now but it's okay and that's the perfect example though to have this new beautiful chapter of your life you've had to like lose some some things along the way too and so it's a constant as you said cycle of loss and renewal so it's good to be able to acknowledge I'm sad that I can't go do this thing that I used to love to do right now but I'm really happy with what I do have too and both of those things can be true yeah 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 I find I, like I think about that a lot as a mother is like where are those parts of myself what are they doing while they're hibernating hmm. how can I tap into that part who used to love to dance like yeah is it like turning on that one song while I'm cooking dinner? Like, you oh, know, like yeah. she pops out in different ways. She's still there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you put September by Earth, Wind and Fire on, she is on the table. Oh, she's okay? back. She's on the table. And then Kaylin whips out the worm. And then oh, yeah. it's wild. I have been known to whip out the worm. After we love it. Cocktails. Oh, amazing. <laughs> it's insane. Honestly, if I do it now, I'm probably going to pee myself because I haven't done it post baby. <laughs> so let's be real. The bladder control is not what it once was. <laughs> so, okay. So the, the one thing we always love to ask our guests is what's, what's one thing that you wish you had been taught in school? Hmm. There's so much emphasis on, um, preparation and planning and figuring out what track you're on and, I just wish there had been some like n- notation at the end of com- every conversation about that, that like every choice you make is going to have trade-offs because I think that that would m- have made a lot of room for more self-compassion for me and also for like lowering the stakes of early adulthood, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. in my life so far, there've been very few choices that I can't. That, that like such an error that I can't evolve it into the next thing. Um, and in the instances where they ended up feeling like the wrong choice, like I learned something really important about it. But I think I was so afraid for so long about making the wrong move mm-hmm. um, and the cost of that. That is adulting in a nutshell right there. That is fucking adulting. <laughs> And it's also much more interesting when you make a move. Oh, yeah. You well, learn more. Not making you know, a move is still a move, who gets too. Stuck, yeah. I know. Stuckness is a move. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we all have seasons where we have to be stuck because yeah. we're figuring out some stuff. But, um, but sitting in it too long, I feel like that's the greatest source of regret. My heart is really, really full from this. And I just so appreciate oh, you and everything you do. And thank I just you. feel like I've known you for a very, very long time. So thank you um, so much for all the wonderful things you do. And please tell our listeners where they can find you, what you're up to, where they can follow you, all the things. Yeah. Um, 
where I'm where I'm most findable is uh, every week we release episodes of Death, Sex, and Money, um, the podcast about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. Um, and my book is called Let's Talk About Hard Things. We hope this episode helps you have the honest, hard conversations that can help us connect more deeply with our loved ones and even with strangers. We will leave you with a quote from our queen, Brene Brown. Daring greatly means the courage to be vulnerable. It means to show up and be seen, to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling, and to have the hard conversations. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.